When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Introducing the new Starbucks Pistachio Cream Cold Brew. Silky Pistachio Cream Cold Foam tops our bold, smooth, cold brew for a delicious twist on a favorite winter flavor. Make today a good day. Order ahead on the Starbucks app. Maryland sports fans, there's only one sports book in the great state of Maryland with over 50 years' experience booking bets and supporting customers. Betfred Sportsbook at Long Shots is now open and is the only sports book in Frederick offering cash betting on football, basketball, world soccer, and more. Visit the Betfred Sportsbook at I-270 and MD-85 in Frederick, right next to Long Shots Off-Track Betting. Go to BetfredSports.com for more information and your chance to win exclusive merchandise. Must be 21 or older. Play responsibly. For help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Hi, this is Cassandra Peterson, otherwise known as Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, and you're listening to Pantheon Podcast. Labor Day weekend, 1976, at the Waverly Theater in Greenwich Village, New York, were two songs about 15 minutes or so into the midnight showing of the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Folks showing up in costume, acting out bits of the show, yeah, that had been going on for a while. Indeed, those traditions went back to the stage production, the Rocky Horror Show. The stage version started in London in 1973 and quickly jumped the Atlantic. Out in L.A. at the Roxy Theater on the Sunset Strip, the Rocky Horror Show premiered in March of 74 and established itself as a long-running smash. Halloween of 74 in Los Angeles saw the first costume contest. And from then on, uh, there was no getting rid of audience members in corsets and fishnet stockings. Tim Curry came over from London and played Dr. Frankenfurter alongside a new company of singers and actors called from local talent. Tim stayed with the Roxy Company up until the fall of 74 when he went back to England to shoot the movie version. 
Ah, the movie version. We've now made it back to the Waverly in New York City, late summer of 1976. A fan by the name of Louis Ferrese saw Susan Sarandon up on the screen playing Janet, walking through the rain with a newspaper over her head in a forlorn attempt to stay dry. Louis was perhaps a little too caught up in the cinematic moment, so he hollered, Buy an umbrella, you cheap bitch! Up on the screen, uh, Janet never did get an umbrella, but she made it to the castle. Finally got dry, met several interesting people, and of course, depravity ensued. Out in the audience, our friend Lewis got a little piece of midnight movie immortality. Lewis was the first documented fan to yell something nasty at the screen during the Rocky Horror Picture Show. It's astounding. Time is fleeting. Madness takes its toll. But listen closely. Not for very much longer. I've got to keep control. podcast is intended to be education and commentary. It will discuss adult themes and may use coarse language. Pantheon Podcasts presents Rock and Roll Archaeology with host Christian Swain. Music, culture, technology, and rock and roll. With the show. Hello, diggers. Welcome back to another RNRA short. And I bet I know the first question is when's the next big show coming? I'll be honest and say we are still in the research phase, but it is coming along. And for you, I'll tell you the subject of this upcoming big episode. We're going to dig into radio and how it morphed along with rock and roll. We did a little of this in some of our early episodes, but like the music, radio grew throughout the 60s and the 70s exploded, had to make changes in the 80s, and in the 90s seems to have signed its own death warrant. Long and short wave, there is a lot to explore, and it is coming soon. Now, before we begin today, let's get some ads out of the way. Okay, so this short episode is going to take on one of our favorite rock and roll movies, the Rocky Horror Picture Show. It is seminal to both Richard and I. We went to many a midnight movie night ourselves, and yes, several times to the Tiffany in Hollywood to see the show that was more than a movie. But beginning in 2016, when Fox attempted a live version, we noticed it did not age very well. What was fun, campy stuff to us cis white guys back then was now a little cringy at moments. So we'll talk a little bit about that. Now, spoiler alert, well, not not really. We don't exactly break down the film, but if you have never seen Rocky, uh, you may be a little lost. So maybe see it first. Yeah, 
don't be afraid. It's still a good example of art trying to extend the boundaries of acceptability. If you remember, it is 1975 when most of these themes were completely taboo with the establishment. In that lens, it's still important. Okay, damn it, Janet. I've got to keep control. So let's get to it. Here is the RNRA Horror Podcast Short. It's just a jump to the left. So let's get some basics out of the way. The Rocky Horror Picture Show, directed by Jim Sharman and produced by Lou Adler and Michael White, was released by 20th Century Fox in August of 1975. Sharman wrote the screenplay using Richard O'Brien's stage musical, The Rocky Horror Show, as a basis. O'Brien wrote the song lyrics and his longtime collaborator, Richard Hartley, wrote the music. O'Brien, who also plays Riff Raff in both the play and the film, was the main creative force behind Rocky Horror. Richard had a bit part in the London production of Jesus Christ Superstar. Small part, small paycheck, and a lot of time on their hands. Bored and lonely, they went to work on some songs loosely connected to each other that referenced their childhood loves, sci-fi and horror movies, early rock and roll, and musical theater. Charmin and Hartley helped them round it out into a uh, more or less coherent narrative for stage and screen. He did sit well, giving readings, 14 Moscow Road. Osbert giving champagne parties, Sashi's got the cold. Gertrude's hanging pictures, Alice making tea. Me, I do the only thing that still makes sense to me. I do the right. In 1968, Tim Curry was on his first gig after leaving college in the London cast of the ensemble musical Hair. At casting, when they asked if he had any experience and if he had an actor's equity card, Tim lied and lied again. But he was allowed to stick around even after the lies were exposed because Tim Curry had talent and charisma by the ton. Along with that talent, towering ambition, and a work ethic that uh, bordered on the insane, it only took Tim a couple of years to work his way up London's performing ladder and land a spot in the Royal Shakespeare Company. That was when O'Brien, Charmin, and Hartley approached him about the Rocky Horror gig. One night in late 1973, a record mogul, Lou Adler, saw the London show. He decided right then and there to purchase the U.S. theatrical rights. Although Rocky did well in New York and L.A. as a theater production, nobody but Lou and his partner were willing to financially back the movie. The entire budget for the film was a paltry $1.6 million. Uh, that's about $8 million in today's dollars. Now, uh, according to Investopedia, that's about one-tenth the average cost of a modern-day Hollywood production. The actors all worked for scale. Nearly all of them were from the London Theatrical Company, reprising their stage roles for the movie. To save on costs, they brought their costumes with them. 
Barry Bostwick and Susan Sarandon, uh, Brad and Janet, were outsiders, American actors brought in at the studio's insistence. Both were newcomers to film. Uh, Sarandon went on to become a major film star. Uh, Bostwick went on to distinguish himself in film, television, and musical theater. Once in future rock star Meatloaf played Eddie with the L.A. troupe. He was brought in from the States as well. Yeah, came in like a bat out of hell, you might say. In a wonderfully inspired piece of casting, the veteran British character actor Charles Gray, best known as the arch-villain Blofeld in several James Bond movies, portrayed the criminologist slash narrator. I would like, if I may, to take you on a strange journey. A strange journey that started with a difficult production. The small budget meant an inexperienced crew. There were several serious injuries on the set. The primary location was Oakley Court, an old English manor house in Berkshire. Oakley has appeared in plenty of cheesy sci-fi and horror flicks, notably the Hammer Horror movies that inspired heavy metal pioneers like Black Sabbath. It's now a luxury inn, uh, but back then it was uh, rather run down and unheated. Susan Sarandon got sick from the chill. In between shots, she would huddle in blankets, literally shaking with fever. In general release the following summer, the Rocky Horror Picture Show was a flop. <laughs> a dud. It failed even to recoup the tiny studio investment. But that fall, a junior exec at 20th Century Fox noticed the emerging popularity of Friday and Saturday midnight movies at art house theaters around the country and brought it up to his bosses. The Waverly in Greenwich Village was first. Uh, Tiffany's Theater in Hollywood and the Biograph in Chicago soon followed suit. But the following summer, dozens of art houses in big cities and college towns across America were showing Rocky Horror at midnight on the weekends. They still do. The Rocky Horror Picture Show is now the longest continuously running theatrical release in history. Brad, please, let's get out of here. For God's sake, keep a grip on yourself, Janet. But it's, it seems unhealthy here. It's just a party, Janet. Well, I want to go. Well, we can't go anywhere till I get to a phone. Well, then ask a butler or someone. Just a moment, Janet. We don't want to interfere with their celebrations. This isn't the Junior Chamber of Commerce, Brad. They're probably foreigners with ways different than our own. They may do some more folk dancing. Look, I'm cold, I'm wet, and I'm just plain scared. I'm here. There's nothing to worry about. <laughs> How'd you do, I? See, you've met my faithful handyman. He's just a little broad dime because when you knocked, he thought you were the candy man. Don't get strung up by the way I look. Don't judge a book by its cover. I'm not much of a man. There's plenty of commentary out there about Rocky Horror in the mainstream media, on Medium, Reddit, and other blog sites. Rocky Horror fans have their own wiki, and it is lovingly curated and regularly updated. We'll drop a link. A perfunctory search brings up lots of listicles and clickbait stuff like uh, eight things you don't know about Rocky Horror and so on. We won't throw shade at any specific bloggers or creators, but it's a load of utter crap. That said, 
Take it a little further. Search for things like, uh, for instance, Rocky Horror Cultural Impact or Queer Critique of Rocky Horror, and some good reads come up. As always, we'll link to those, too. By the light of the night, it'll all seem all right. I'll get you a satanic mechanic. I'm just a sweet transvestite from transsexual Transylvania. <laughs> when we take on cultural artifacts, and love it or hate it, the Rocky Horror Picture Show is surely a cultural artifact. When we take on artifacts from the 60s and 70s, we like to think about how they hold up. If we could jump to the left and then step to the right and time warp back to 1975... How would Rocky Horror hit different, uh, knowing what we know? This sort of question pushes us to think about changing mores and evolving attitudes about shifts in the culture. And in doing so, we find that the Rocky Horror Picture Show did have some problematic shit in it. We'll take on some of that in just a bit. But let's start by reviewing the state of science fiction movies at the time Rocky Horror came out. Uh, We're nothing if not sci-fi fans, so... This could be fun. When we think sci-fi nowadays, we think big-budget blockbusters like Avatar, you know, billion-dollar franchises like Star Trek and Star Wars. Uh, it was not always thus. Ladies and gentlemen, the monster which the peasants in this area call Frunobulax, apparently a very large poodle dog, has just been seen approaching the power plant. Bullets can't stop it. Rockets can't stop it. We may have to use nuclear force. From the late 1930s, when the genre first started showing up in film, right up to Rocky Horror's release in 1975, sci-fi movies were mostly kitschy, quirky, low-budget affairs. Often unintentionally hilarious, and the cheaper the better, is how our old friend Frank Zappa put it. The one towering exception was Stanley Kubrick's 2001, A Space Odyssey, released in 1968, but (laughs) nobody understood it, not at the time, anyway. The 50s and 60s were the golden age of sci-fi writing. Isaac Asimov and Ray Bradbury, Robert Heinlein, uh, Ursula K. Le Guin, Frank Herbert, Arthur C. Clarke, and so on. The 70s and 80s were when the big sci-fi film, as we know it, really became a thing. And it's fair to call it a golden age, too. But it didn't really kick in until the late 70s. Star Wars premiered in the summer of 1977, Close Encounters in 1978, and Alien in 1979. Examined in that context... Rocky Horror feels like a fond farewell to the first generation of sci-fi movies and the subculture of nerdy, goofy kitsch that came with it. You know, when Flash Gordon was there in silver underwear and Claude Rains was the Invisible Man. There is some name-checking and recapping, but we also hear genuine pathos, a, a sense of loss and bittersweet nostalgia in that opening song. Bye, Arcadia. 
the late night double feature picture show in the back row. In the back row. Like rock and roll did in the late 50s, science fiction movies moved out of the fringe and into the mainstream in the late 70s. We've seen whole franchises emerge since then. Star Wars and Star Trek and Marvel Comics have become industries unto themselves, generating billions of dollars and playing casts and crews in the thousands. Like rock and roll, it became big business. And like rock and roll, one can't help but feel that maybe something was lost along the way. Buddy Holly was singing his very last song with your arm around your girl you tried to sing along, goes a line in the second verse of Hot Patootie, Bless My Soul. It turned out Eddie was singing his very last song, too. In the midst of all the mayhem, even as madness takes its toll, we find these little grace notes of remembrance and nostalgia in Rocky Horror. There's actually some humanity sprinkled into this campy, outrageous tale of homicidal cross-dressing invaders from the galaxy of Transylvania. It's found in the songs. The dialogue is campy, the plot is grotesque, but the songs carry a message of hope for the kid who feels left out, or different, or picked on. It's a great message, too. And it goes like this. Fuck what other people think. Be yourself. Be your biggest, boldest, baddest self. Don't dream it, be it. It was great when it all began. I was a regular Frankie fan. But it was over when he had the plan. To start a working out of my soul, man. Now the only thing that gives me hope is my Friends, diggers, rock and rollers, lend us your ears. We come not to praise Rocky, but to bury him. <laughs> we just dropped a lot of info because it's a fun movie. Uh, now it got made. It's a good story, and it's an important part of rock history. Rocky Horror was also a launching pad for a bunch of very successful showbiz careers. All of that is true, and we stand by it. But we also ask... How well does this hold up? Turns out, not all that well. Sorry, sorry. Um, we'll elaborate. Starting about five years ago, a spirited debate has been underway in different queer blogs and vlogs and online spaces about Rocky Horror's exact legacy. 
a very pointed critique of Rocky Horror has been gaining traction. The sharpest jab, the strongest counter-argument to Rocky Horror, goes something like this. Yes, he's entertaining as hell, but at the end of the day, Dr. Frankenfurter, as played by Tim Curry, is a groomer, a sexual predator, and a murderer. The movie perpetuates, um, strongly perpetuates, three of the absolute worst and most hateful false stereotypes about trans people. For the longest time, there were many parts of the country where this production was one of the only queer spaces that existed. It would be short-sighted to dismiss these spaces when they have been key in helping many people assert their identities. The LGBTQIA community has traditionally had so few of these scenes. Simultaneously, however, we must recognize that the Rocky Horror Picture Show is not a flawless text. It's a wholly transphobic movie, and many people have felt excluded from it rather than accepted. That's Alex Mel Taylor from their post at an Injustice Mag. The piece is titled Gently Ripping Apart the Rocky Horror Picture Show, and it's extremely well done. We recommend the hell out of it. We think Alex is basically telling us, look, you don't have to stop liking Rocky Horror. Go have a good time, but understand and acknowledge its flaws and imperfections, and understand that these flaws can cause harm. This critique and other similar takes have had an impact. Example, in the latest touring company version of the Rocky Horror Show, the scenes where Frank date rapes first Janet, uh, then Brad, those scenes were rewritten to include consent. And those scenes are funny as hell. Uh, They've lost none of their satirical bite. Uh, Maybe it's time to change some other things about Rocky Horror. Or maybe just move on from it completely, as Alex Mel Taylor suggests. And we're going to give Alex the last word. Cinema has gone through a lot of changes since the 1970s. While the acceptance of Frankenfurter may have been seen as an impossibility then, that certainly isn't the case anymore. Spaces have been created for such representation, making the Rocky Horror Picture Show antiquated by comparison. We need a story where a trans character doesn't need to resort to villainy to find acceptance. If we aren't going to find it in Rocky Horror, then we need to look elsewhere on this planet filled with meaning. And crawling on the planet's face, some insects called the human race. Lost in time and lost in space and meaning. I'm Christian Swain, and this has been RNRA Shorts. Happy Halloween, everybody. Keep up the rocking. And we'll see you next time. Rock and Roll Archaeology is written by Richard Evans and Christian Swain. Produced and hosted by Christian Swain. All sound design and incidental music by Jerry Danielson at Busy Signal Studios. Find all of our shows, notes, and links at PantheonPodcast.com. All songs can be found for purchase or streaming wherever you get your great music. Please pick up these amazing tracks. Contact us on social 
at Pantheon Podcasts on Facebook and Instagram. Tweet us at Pantheon Pods. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.